Welcome to episode 112 of We Going In Presents, where I'm joined today by the Justice League, Cesar Comanche, who's made incredible albums like Wooden Nickels, Squirrel and the Aces, and his recent A Promise Not to Sing with Poe Mac. Cesar, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, man. How are you doing? I can't complain. I can't complain. You know, it's Friday and, you know, kids are in school now. You know, they're happy there. So really, you know, no complaints. Word. I can dig it. And I see you guys are getting some pretty crazy East Coast, you know, winter weather out there, man. How how's how's things been this winter for you? Um, well, it's like shoot, man, like for example, today it's going to get into the 60s and then it's going to get like close to freezing. No, actually, yeah, close to freezing in another day or so. So it's been just up and down and then every time it gets warm, it's been like a storm here so like instead of snow it's been a whole lot of rain yeah and then once it gets dry then it'll get back below freezing again so it's just been crazy man that's wild i mean snow almost seems like it would just be better at that point too yeah i mean yeah depending um but like if you just go i'd say like just a few no not a few like I'd say, like, kind of mid-Atlantic, maybe Jersey or New York State. Like, they've been getting, like, a lot of snow, you know. And I know, like, the middle of the country is getting a lot of snow, too. And it's just these – yeah, but it's just weird, man. But, I mean, it's just, you know, you just got to stay healthy, man. Don't let the – here, you can't let the weather changes uh, get you sick or nothing like that. Right. For sure. You know, the last time we talked to House of Tradis was coming out this 2019 and oh, word. yeah, so it's been a couple <sighs> years since we've talked and maybe even longer than that. Actually, it might even be longer than that. You might have been working on it. OK, so that's something I was working on at the time. OK, yeah. Yeah, man. Like, yeah, House of Tradis like that. Uh, man, that record, it's like. I really dig that record because it was its own thing. Like I don't I don't try to make albums that sound the same, but I feel like that album definitely was in its own world. Like it was still boom bap, but the vibe, the subject matter, just me kind of going into like a different character. It was it was a difficult album, but it kind of it really helped me grow like a lot and like I really dig it man you know yeah it, wow that was a, that was 2019 what yeah. no that was before that wasn't it no it was 2019 you're right you're right yeah so like man but uh yeah it, it's it's one of those things I, I always revisit it and you know and anybody who doesn't have it definitely pick that album up too shoot yeah seriously you know when when you look to at that project and what, you know, fans know you for with Wooden Nichols, Squirrel and the Ace, you know, thinking about that, like, do you think this, do you think that House Atreides, like, caught fans off guard a little bit with just, like, the different sound and just the different, the different styles? Um, I would say definitely some, yeah. Um, some it did. I feel like, I feel like it was a... Okay, there was like, I feel like it was three different groups of people who kind of got into that album. It was people who dug it and got why it was the way, why it is the way it is. But then you got people who dug it, but then didn't get why it was the way it was. <laughs> mm. And then you got people who um, just like they just it they it just completely like threw them off and they didn't know how to receive it at all. Like that was kind of the three uh different uh kind of reviews I was hearing from, you know, different directions and stuff. Yeah, but I mean it it's exactly what you know Flash and I intended to do, you know. And and I feel like even the cats who didn't get it and still don't get it now, I feel like one day they will you know sometimes it's a it's a slow burn sometimes no for sure i mean did any of those reviews or just feedback bother you or or was it kind of expected in a way um 
I I expected it because going into it and like even in the planning stages, I knew that like yeah like this is something that yeah was gonna be for people who are who even listen to the type of stuff I do or listen to what I do anyway. I felt it was gonna be uh they had to get used to it. It may be like when they revisited it, like in another year or two after they first heard it, I felt like it would be like, oh, now I see what's going on. I felt like maybe the initial listen might have been like, I don't know. They they just were thrown off because at that point, I mean, that being my ninth release, it was like an expectation already. You know what I'm saying? as far as my what my general sound would be and it was like oh this is different but it it is still soulful boom bap but it's soulful boom bap and it had to be um, imagined from a different place mm. you know so yeah like i yeah i feel like i was i was we expected it we expected that and and what is that that collaborative process like, you know, working with Flash? Um, I mean, shoot, man, it, working with Flash, that was my first time working with him, like, actually making music. You know, we've been crew members for a long time, and uh, previous to that, to that album, he'd only started making beats maybe, I want to say, it couldn't be two or three years even before that, or maybe two years. And, you know, because he was always DJing, of course. He's been DJing for decades, but he got on to the actual beat making later. And he really, um, ha- you know, had an ear for it and a knack for it. And, you know, being in the crew and being around such accomplished seasoned beat makers, he pretty much had an understanding of like how to work things he just needed practice i mean now like you know flash is is a beast with the beats but those beats he did on that album to me it just didn't seem like somebody who just not that long started making beats made those like there were some pretty serious stuff up there so Nah, but, like, as far as working with them, it was was easy, man. Like, some stuff he already had, like, I would say, like, a few beats he already had, but a lot of the stuff, like, maybe half a little over, he made for the record. And then we were actually done with the record, and then he had made something else, and it was the beat for um, the last song, The Killing Word, we thought we were done, but he had made that beat, and then he was like, man, we need to actually, he said, you need to listen to this. I, this would fit the album perfectly. And then I heard it, and then we made that, you know, made that jam. And it's just, yeah, man, working with him, it, it was real easy, just because, I mean, we've been the crew for I don't know how long at that point. So, yeah, man, it no problems at all. You know, good vibes, good chemistry, all that. But it's interesting too, right? When you're you know someone for so long and you know them, you know, as this one role, and now right. like you see their personal and professional growth, and they're they're in a new role now. Like, I would imagine that takes some like calibrating and getting used to like seeing each other in different roles, like as we're all growing. Yeah, um, yeah, for sure. <clears throat> but the good thing about us is. Um, Adapting is definitely something that we've always had to do as far as um, even when we did shows, a lot of times in the past, well, I'd say like 90-something percent of the shows we've done in the past as far as like he and I or um, him and some other cats in the league or like another, like Ninth and me or whatever, it was like when we do live shows, we didn't, rehearse any of that stuff so it was kind of like we known and worked with each other for so long and know how each other moves that it's like you know when you throw in an alley 
to to somebody, you know, on basketball, like you've played with them so many times, you know exactly how high and what side of the basket and all that to throw it. You know, it becomes second nature. So um, that, I mean, him had hearing the, you know, me making songs for so long and us doing shows together. We've done lots of shows together before we ever worked musically together. It was like we understood you know, exactly once we talked about how the album was going to be, what needed to happen and what types of stuff that I would sound, you know, my voice would sound good over and things like that. So it, it, I mean, it was kind of a cheat code just because us being working together in some type of, you know, capacity for so long. Now, I had... He'd been somebody, you know, okay, he just joined the crew or I'd never worked with him before in any form or fashion, didn't know him, anything like that. Then, yeah, it would have been way more of a challenge, you know. It's just, it was just lucky that we had been, been had a relationship like that. That's amazing. And, you know, when you talk about your adaptability with shows, you know, that just brings up, you know, that's that stage show that I was lucky to see when you came through Charlottesville, you and Wordsworth, you know, um, maybe 2018, maybe. And, Mm -hmm. you know, just an incredible performance, you know, and it, it wasn't, you know, Charlottesville is not known for being a huge hip hop community or being supportive necessarily of hip hop, you know, in a larger sense. Right. And you just absolutely tore it down. And, you know, one of the hardest things about being in Charlottesville is you don't get a lot of good hip hop. And so seeing your show was incredible and, you know, just something that um, I I just, you know, saw saw you as an incredible performer and really appreciated the energy that you put into the show, but also the engagement and just um, just the overall performance, man. So, like, where does that stage show come from? Um, I feel like uh, innately, I I always was a performer and I didn't know it because both of my parents uh, actually were um, musicians and live performers and all that. So that kind of was a a thing that kind of came up in me and also watching um, other great performers, be it people in the rap world like your your carrots ones or your you know your roots or your uh commons or your most deaths or of yasin bays or your you know list goes on um seeing like how they perform and how they engage and how uh they and then outside of rap too like you know like your james browns your tina turners your your uh rolling stones your you know whoever it's just capturing that feeling and understanding how to make people feel that way but from the way you do it the way you engage so it doesn't matter like i remember like the show you're talking about one, the that was one of the situations where me and the DJ, we never met each other before that day. Uh, but we were able to, you know, that's the adaptability thing, to to have have things set up in a way where I, I know he can easily get the vibe of where I'm going and we can vibe off each other without having never worked together before, never met one another before at that Charlottesville show. Um and it it understanding that it's like it doesn't matter what the situation is it's about making the people feel good like regardless like your your the song you're doing could be about something heavy about something light about something fun something uh, not fun, anything, but it's still like you're taking, you know, you got to understand you're taking people on a journey and you're up there performing and also making the people feel comfortable. Like we're all in this together. Like it's not about you. It's not about them. It's about us. 
and us sharing this vibration and keeping that in mind, you know. Um, and then also, and, and, and like, going back to comfortability, like, that's a big thing. Like, you have to be comfortable while you're performing because if you're not, that puts off a vibe that kind of, gives the audience pushback and they can't fully get into the thing like and the more comfortable you are the more professional you are then the more they can get into it even if they're not into your music or even the type of music you do you can still and i've had to do that i've had to perform for not rap listeners at all like none of the people really were rap listeners and and i still entertained the people we still had a good time and it you have to get them with the vibe and the performance itself you know so it's like it's one of those things you have to be critical of yourself also and watch yourself like watch film of yourself performing and look at it in a critical thing and then you can't also surround yourself with a bunch of people who are going to yes you to death. Like, you got to get honest criticism. Like, you can't, like, people have to, that you are cool with or whoever's around you or your team or your crew or whatever that you, you ask questions to. They can't be people that just like, oh, yeah, that was dope. That's, you know, whatever. It's like they have to actually look at what you're doing and from a you know standpoint of objectivity and be like yeah you might want to think about this or that you have to always be wanting to improve on what you're doing like it's a lot of things and like you know and those type of things are what I try to have with when it comes to live performing you know it it's it's a it's a journey and it's like I feel like there is no destination is like you just always try to get better and feel like how you can connect with the people better that that's an incredible response you know and thinking about what you said about watching videotapes so i'm in my 17th year of teaching and mm. early on you know when i get observed you know i didn't have this awareness of things that i was doing like for example mm. I was observed and um, the assistant principal was telling me, you know, it took you seven minutes to start class because you were answering all these other students like individual questions while like the entire class was waiting for class to begin. And like, how can you use that time better? In my mind, it took me like 30 seconds to answer those questions, but right. it took much longer, you know, than it did. It just felt like that for me. So like that, that awareness helped me like change my practice. Like what have you hmm. seen on video watching yourself you know that you say okay let me let me change this for the next show like let me like this is a bad habit that i gotta like break like anything like that that you've seen when you've been studying your own um show footage uh let's see um i feel like early on energy wise right so what I started noticing, and this was like, we're, we're going back to the early aughts, the early zeros. Like, what I would notice is that I would be on, and I didn't realize it, same thing how you said you didn't realize you were taking, you know, a long time to answer the questions, is that I would be, my energy would be on 10. So let's just say one to ten is the range. I would be on. I would come out on ten, and then I would just be on ten until the end of my set. And what I started realizing is that ten staying there seems like five the whole set if you don't change it. Now, going through different, you know, turning my energy from like. 10 to 5 to 7 to 8 to 5 to 10, giving people dynamic range of energy throughout a set is what makes the different things feel better and not seem like a flat line tone of energy and it just then people tune out 
So that was one of the things uh, that I, I saw that I needed to change early in the game. And then once I saw, oh, like I need to give people a, a roller coaster ride of, of energy, dips and valleys and peaks of things, that made the, the performance way more powerful. And then, like you said, like engaging with the people, like knowing when to gauge to engage with the people and also knowing how long and or how short to engage with the people. You know, those type of things were that kind of stuck out of my head, of, you know, over time that I learned. That's, that's amazing, too, especially when you think about having that high energy. But if that's like the standard they don't have anything else to judge it against. So it, it yeah, right. that, that, that's amazing. I never thought about that before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause it all, it start it's, it'll become white noise if it's just blaring, you know, you know, I'm not, we're not talking about volume. We're just talking about like the, the manner of your performance, you know, it's like you can still perform and then do things in a more smoothed out way. And then it, yeah, it just makes it mean more the, the peaks, mean way more when like you said you give them valleys to compare it to right yeah that that's amazing man you know when you, when you look at a promise not to sing that's a project you put out in 2021 with pomac who's <laughs> from roanoke virginia and you know that really cool collaboration there amazing storytelling throughout the project you know how did a promise not to sing come together and, and what do you want to give fans with that Oh, man. So, you know, that album was made during the height of, you know, when you know, you had to be scared to walk outside or whatnot. Um, but the album's not about that. The album's more about the different feelings that people... Uh, could be and were feeling and are feeling even right now and it's the whole promise uh not to sting is a promise that ultimately is always going to be broken and that's why it's a scorpion on the front of the album mm. cover and that that story of the scorpion and the frog how the scorpion asked the frog for a ride across a river and the frog is like but you're going to sting me. And the scorpion's like, I won't. But in the middle of the ride across the river, the scorpion ended up stinging the frog anyway, and they both die. Um, but that's the thing. Like, the album has valleys and peaks of different types of things, but at the end of the day, it's like, there's some things that are heavy on it, and there's some things that are painful on it and that is the broken promise because it's like we're saying that's not going to happen but it does if you like listen to the whole album yeah um you see what i'm saying yep yeah so and that was a thing and that was and it was a exercise of pain like there was some like you know pomac uh and i both at different points are actually telling some in real time truth on the record um, and some painful things on the record, but then some happy things too, some, you know, um, but it is what is we hadn't at that, when we made that record, we, the last time we saw each other. Uh, so it was like, like I said, 2021, the last time we saw each other probably was 2019 and we didn't get to see each other again until maybe 2022 or three one of those things so it was like one of those things we had to go back and forth and you know the the music that uh ninth and crisis and j rawls and superstition and um DK and Flash and myself uh, put together like it was the vibe. All of it fit that vibe, and it's like 
a very smoothed out, soulful, boom bap, rich album, you know. Um, but yeah, man, like, and that's the first time Pomac and I, well, no, we've we've made actually music together before, sorry. But that's the first time I've made an album where it was like a rap group album or a rap duo album. I've never done that before. So it was something that was also another growing period for me to do to do that. And I I mean I felt we, we pulled it off for us uh very, very well. Like I I love that record from beginning to end. No, it's a great project, man. When, you know, when you think about that too, people working with you, especially producers. I mean, do you ever feel like there's, you know, some intimidation there? Because like you look at the work you've done with with Ninth Crisis. Like, do you feel like there's ever like, man, you've worked with these guys, and now like, you know, what are your expectations? Like, you know, what if this isn't like right? Like, do you ever feel like other producers might be a bit intimidated based on your discography and what you've what you've accomplished? know man um uh, that's a that's actually a really good question um i could i mean if they are i can understand why in that context of how you're framing the question um because like for example like let's just say if i was doing uh, a song with somebody and i guess it's these producer has to be somebody who's also a fan of mine. I guess that's how you're saying it too. Like if I was going to do uh, a song with somebody that I was a fan of, like let's just say, you know, I grew up listening to or whatever, it would be, I mean, I wouldn't be scared, but it would be like a surreal, like, oh, wow, I'm about to do a song with blah 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 you know and i have done songs with people like for example like tajay and now like socrates and you know different people that i've i mean doing a song with jay rawls was crazy to me you know um but yeah i could see that it could be i just wouldn't know um i just feel like even if they would once they talk to me and if I want to do the record, you know, they'll quickly see that, like, I don't even approach it like that. Like, to me, it doesn't matter if I'm more known than them or they're more known than me. We're just doing something together. And the whole point is, like, when somebody's listening to it and when it's coming out that speaker, it's right. You know what I'm saying? So we did it right. together. You know what I'm saying? That's really, I feel like anybody who works with me gets that's what it's about. Like, it ain't about this, that, and the third. It's about making the song right. That's all. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's a great point, man. You know, and when when you look at just the, the great storytelling, I feel, I feel like I promise not to sing, you know, something that really stood out was just the storytelling throughout the project, you know, and throughout mm. the, the from, from start to finish. You know, how important is that storytelling element to you as an MC? Um, it is, man. It's it's very important to me because I feel like if you don't do that, I'm not saying you need to do that on every song. I'm saying if you don't do that at all, I feel like then you run the risk and I, of making the same song over and over and over again. Because it's like if you're just talking about like, okay, I don't know, let's just say your whole thing is, you know, um, being um, braggadocious but if that's your thing and that's it then it's like how many ways can you do that same thing like you might be able to come up with different ways to say that but really ultimately you're saying the same thing and it makes you I just feel like it makes you one dimensional if you can't do a bunch of different things that fall still within who you are but then you're limiting yourself to just that so because i because if you think about it like just think imagine any uh we'll just say mc for now any mc rapper or whatever and you listen to their songs and it doesn't matter who it is now just try to imagine 
hanging out with them and listening to their whole discography and imagine if they were like that when you hung out with them. Yeah. That would be crazy. Like, it wouldn't make no sense. <laughs> and then you would just be like, are you insane? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It'd be wild. <laughs> yeah. So th- that's the thing about it. It's like, there's no need to limit yourself to any one thing. You, you have, in real life, you have so many different things. You, anybody, has so many different experiences, so many different uh, uh, feelings about things, you know? And it's like, use it. Like, don't, I just don't like people to feel like they need to be boxed in to one thing it's like i gotta do this like i gotta talk about this and this is what i talk, and that's it and it's just like but when you're not in the booth then now you go away from that and that has nothing like the booth and who you are are completely different things or like the booth is only point five percent of who you are you know, and I just feel like that's very limiting, and I just feel like a lot of cats are scared to be themselves or really talk talk about things they think about or how they feel about anything because it's like we're made to feel that we're supposed to talk about this. Like, outside of rap, and I could be wrong, I mean, you got punk and, you know, things like that and... Uh, different types of, you know, rock that do it too. But, like, why is it that, like, you have to be tough? Like, why? Yeah. Like, who made that rule? You know what I'm saying? (laughs) And I'm not saying you're not tough sometimes, but I'm saying, but you're not tough all the time. And I just find that very strange. Exactly, I just find it strange. That's all. And I and I and I feel like more questions need to be asked. Like, why is it like that? You have to be this way. And then, was that something that us people who are, you know, let's just say hip hoppers, did we create that, or did outsiders create that? And then we followed suit into what they said we're supposed to be. It's a lot of questions I just, I wish more people would ask and more people would be upfront about because it's, it's a lot of times when you just step back and look at things, they're kind of strange and weird of why do I have to be a certain way? It's like, why can't I just be me? Right. And I thought that was the whole point if you're an artist. Well, especially when we look too right at the origins of hip hop and it being born in parties and having a good time and and really just, you know, being yourself. Right. Right. And then the thing is, sometimes you are tough. Sometimes you have to be tough because the situation calls for it. But that's not twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. And you know something you know? that that caught me, you know, watching the, the May the Lord Watch documentary is, I for, I think it was one of the, the A&Rs at Atlantic, maybe, um, mm-hmm. talking about how, whoa, like, these guys are smart. These guys are smart, you know? Like, do you think that, I mean, I, I feel like you guys as, a, as Justice League really provided that counter-narrative in terms of, what you can do and still be successful. You know, when you look at right. the, the amount of music you guys released, the way you did it independently, the messages in the music, do you feel like you guys really just being yourselves were able to make that okay for others? It takes a lot of courage to be yourself. And it shouldn't though. It really shouldn't. And, um, I just feel like, you know, okay, so my first album was 2000. I was a young adult. I was in my early 20s when my uh, first album came out. So 
you know, I had to grow up a lot, you know, in the 20s and 30s. You're growing up. Um, and I just feel like that, that having a solid foundation, like, with, at, in the youth, and a lot of people don't have that, of course, and a lot of people do. But a lot of people do have that, and they lie and say that they don't. Because again, we're going back to I've got a I've got a portray a certain image because for some reason, if you rap, you had to start out poor. That's a whole nother stereotype that right. way less people really did than are portraying. You, you dig, <laughs> and oh, yeah. um. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like it's it's a whole, it's a mask that must be worn because it's like, and that's why I'm saying like I'm not sure where that came from and why that is. But um, and, I, and not everybody does it, of course. But yeah, like I feel like being yourself. Well, one, you got to understand we different parts, different acts in JL worked with labels but they weren't any now not from my experience any labels where the label was trying to craft an image and I feel like from you know my limited knowledge that as far as LB being, you know, on Atlantic when that happened, I felt like that was one of the things that hurt them because it's like they feel like you have to be something. You can't just be... Now, don't get me wrong. Like, you still have to be entertaining and interesting and stuff like that, but you can still do that from the angle of being yourself use the things about yourself that are interesting entertaining as an entertainer and learn how to like magnify those things like obviously it's it's still you know we're still doing that it's still entertainment business but it's like i feel like them not being able to be called because what would you okay like think about it like for example we're just going to use little brother for example what would you call them like, if you're a label and you think about huge, big acts that, you know, they're this kind of artist, they're this kind of artist, this kind of artist. We're talking about rap, of course, which makes it even harder. What would you classify Little Brother as? If you we're know? talking and like, feel, yeah, like back then. Right, like what, yeah. what? And, and... And just and we're going back to something you said earlier that and I've heard this that people said they're smart, but at the end of the day, not you and not most people who are saying it, but that aspect is kind of insulting in a way because. It's like okay, so they're they're smart, and like you think about their first, not you, but this is what the industry was doing. Their first single, the loving it, like that was called that smart. And I'm thinking, and I was racking my brains trying to figure out what's so smart about that song. You see what I'm saying? It's a song. They're loving it. Yeah, it's a great, it's a so, great, so, it's a great song. Like, but why right. are people? I think what bothers me is that people are surprised. Like, they're acting like it's a surprise that they're smart. Like, that they. But the thing about it is, the bar is set so low that simply a song about I'm loving it. That's smart. That's the part that's insulting to me. Is that the bar is so low that that is like oh that's so that's so smart like really you know and i'm not talking about there's anything wrong with the song loving it 
I'm saying that the masses opinion of rap music is that low to where that seems like some ingenious stuff. Right. As far as subject matter. Yeah, like 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 the expectations really can't be any lower at that point. Right. Because it's like we got to talk about like it if you rap you're supposed to like you're supposed to because this is what you people do you talk about killing and objectifying women talk about selling drugs like that's it or you talk about something like uh material gains got and and your affluent life got off of doing whatever those are your subject matter so that song just isn't about any of those four things I mean that that's a great point, you know. And when you when you think about like you've been with, you've been with Justice League from the beginning, you know. Even even in the documentary, they talked about how you were sleeping on that couch in the apartment where the original studio was. Like yeah. when you met Ninth in '96, like did you see all this happening? Could you have could you have seen this going the direction that it did? Neither of us did. Neither of us, Ninth or I. Yeah, like we didn't think about any of this and we never wanted like it was neither of our dreams to ever become professional musicians like i feel like the only people whose dream who might have become a professional musician might have been uh shandon who's now fanda dj fonte and maybe dj flash Maybe Sean Boog, it may be Crisis. Everybody else, like, we were on, we were trying to do different things. We just had a talent for music, and when we started working on music and things like that, and, like, we had a knack and we're making songs and doing, we didn't know. No, None of us knew. Even the people who wanted to do this professionally didn't know. None of us did. We didn't have a thing like, oh, we're going to be, doing this, that, and the third, and be in this country, and be on television working on this, and no, not a soul was thinking. We didn't know, because nobody around us was doing stuff like that, so we had nothing to compare it to. You know what I'm saying? Like, we were just some kids, you know, most of us were just college kids, that's what we met in college, and... We had, all of us had different majors, and we were in college for different things. None of us were in college studying music or for music or even music business or anything. Like, I don't even think music business classes existed when I was at State. Like, that wasn't even a, you know. So, like, yeah, man, no, we had no clue. And us having no clue... And us having no elders to really ask, hey, what do you do in this situation? What do you do in that? We were just flying blind, doing the best we could. And it was like, oh, you got people over here who like your music, people over there who like your music. It's like we didn't know how to handle that stuff. We were day by day just trying to figure it out. Man, that that's incredible, man. Was Wooden Nichols recorded in that that studio there too? Uh huh. Yeah, Wooden Nichols, um, Paper Gods, my second. All of my albums recorded in the same studio. Um, even uh, even Promise Not to Sting, same studio. Wow. Yeah, and a bunch of other people's stuff. Um, yeah, man, like the Nice and um, Buckshots. Uh, chemistry album, same studio. Uh, Sean Price, Dag on um, Smith and Wesson, same studio. Like a lot of stuff. Merz, yeah. probably right. No, not Merz album. It was uh, done somewhere else. I can't. It might have been done at maybe ninth spot. Yeah, mm. yeah. But it was all. Yeah, a lot of stuff has been done at Miss Yan. Yep, that's the name of the. Uh, studio miss yam studios yeah it's it's just like a vocal recording 
Uber, we've just made a, and I've just made a lot of stuff there. Because, <laughs> I mean, it works. So it was like, as far as Missy Ann has not changed much. Like, whatever you saw, like, some of the stuff has been updated, but it's not, it's not that different than back then. I mean, that that's amazing. And if, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? Like, I mean... Right. Do you see yourself continuing to record there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yep. And you know, it's something I love too about about your music and other Justice League music is the way that WJLR continues to be, you know, like like that intro, you know, the the, the, <laughs> the commentary. Like I love that. Like how how did WJLR come about and like that decision to keep it going through through all the different projects to this day? Um, that was, obviously, it was a joke. And we were talking about, I think it was, oh my gosh, what movie was it? I feel like it was Ray Man. And they were, and Tom Cruise and Dustin Hoffman were in the car, and I believe it was this station. And it was, it was nothing even that was, you know, important in the movie, whatever. But it was just... It was something, 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 and it was bam, giving you, and we just thought it was funny. That's all. <laughs> so Fonte did his version of that same thing, that radio uh, tag in that movie, and uh, that's where it came from. And then um, I just kept it going because, see, my original idea is I wanted that to be the radio station that was playing um, whatever album, like if somebody released an album, let's say Edgar Allan Flo released an album. I wanted WJLR to always be a skit that that's the station actually playing that album. If that you see, what, if that makes any sense. So I wanted every album to have that. And what I did, uh, other people, I think. It was, you know, like uh, a few times, but I kept it going, you know, on all the albums that I had something to do with because I still think it's it's funny. And just and it goes so just like you say, you enjoy it. I feel like people enjoy it, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. I mean, because, like, I hear it and it's, like, nostalgic, but it also is, yeah. like, you know, the music, like, there's new music. It's still fresh. Like, it's that... It's that that kind of push and pull that we started the interview with, you know, where it's like you're drawn to a specific sound, you're drawn to a certain style, and it's hard to grow or break out of that. And I think it's like having that having that there kind of is like past, present, future altogether almost, having that WJLR, you know, drops and, and keeping that going. You know, it's 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 a yeah. nice nod to the past, but also like very forward forward looking at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, and I always have, like, a different DJ be who's introducing, like, who's, whose show it is, you know what I'm saying? Like, whose radio show it is, always somebody else. Because it, it was cool to hear EA Flow do it, too, man. You know, when you when you look at, at Edgar Allan Flow, you know, Joe Scudder, like, you know, all the legacy, median, like, all the different guys in the Justice League, as, as well as Little Brother, you know, how have your relationships really been able to grow or, or even just change over the years? You know, because I'd imagine it's hard to stay in touch with everybody, especially with not everybody continuing to make music um, on a consistent basis either. So, like, how, how have those relationships really grown over the years? Um, I feel like now it's more life conversations. Um, because when we were actually in the height of where we were working together a lot, um, we didn't really have time per se to get to know each other that much. Like we met, like as we were, uh, when we formed the Justice League back in '99. So I would say, but that wasn't the the Justice League people uh, 
in 99, that wasn't the Justice League that people got to know, like, in let's just say 2002. Um, some members were in that original um, grouping as a crew that made it that, but some uh, weren't after that, and some kind of were added by, like, the 2002, 2003 time. Um but, like, we were so trying to just figure out what in the world is really going on as far as, like, trying to keep up with, oh, like, people want this album, but, like, oh, man, like, they don't have no way to buy it. We got to figure out how to get it to store. Because it was, like, the demand for the music at that time, like, let's just say the early 2000s, up to 2000, I want to say five, where for any of us, our demand was more than the distribution was. So it's like people couldn't get the records. So it was like, oh, um, well, so that, like in the early mid 2000s, like I started a distribution company because I was like, somehow, some way, DOTFW, yeah, that's what I called it. Somehow, some way, I got to help get records into stores. So right from, you know, my spot, we were, uh, me and my um, girlfriend at the time were calling record stores, like, and emailing and faxing and all that stuff around the world, like, hey, would you be interested? And, And then, like, they would be like, yeah, like, you know, so then we would have to get a FedEx account, U, UPS account, shipping stuff. And then we're just distri- distributing stuff. So there was distribution from different corporations, but we had to also. I was like, it's not enough. So to supplement that, all of that. So, and then all doing shows, and then uh, the ninth, and then later crisis, um, having to you know make beats, and then do this, and then. People, some cats are touring here, some touring there, and in the midst of all that, it's not a lot. Some people are getting to know each other, but it's not a lot of getting to know each other. Um, and I know a lot of that led to why why some of us kind of became estranged from one another because we're doing such ultimate things because like you're entering entering a marriage with some people especially if you're in a group like it's one thing to be in a crew which is what justice league is but if you're in a group like you're married married for real and it's like you don't really know the other person per se and like we're getting to it's like marrying somebody and getting then getting to know them later like that may work out for you or it may not, you know? And so now it's evolved to where, you know, the cats who uh, talk and, and um, you know, all of us that are in jail, we're still in jail regardless. It doesn't matter. But like you said, some of us don't, you know, really get to talk like that. Uh, and some of us do, but, the times we do get to talk because everybody's in their own time and schedule it's more just about life or more about yo like what do you think about this thing that happened back in 2008 and it was like we never asked how anybody felt about anything so it's like more of getting to know like how people feel feel about things and I feel like in our I guess all of us are in our 40s yeah that's more what it's about now just how somebody's doing how do you feel about this how do you and that's actually the the evolution of it went from business interactions and making moves and work interactions more like actually making sure somebody's okay in the present day, you know what I'm saying? No doubt, man. So when you think about that too, I mean, that, that, that's, you know, I, I appreciate your answer there. How, how have your goals and priorities changed over the years? 
um, as well? Um, shoot, man. Um, mine have more been about balance. So at first it was just like work, 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 do this, do that. Like, and don't get me wrong, I still get work done and still, you know, and planning and doing things like that. But it's like at the end of the day, when I'm in my 20s, early 20s, when stuff started getting you know, momentum, you're not thinking about um, how limited lifespan is, really. You know, it seems like you got forever to do anything, but it's like, oh, no, I still need to get work done, but I also need to experience life. You know, luckily, when... Um, I was touring the most and being in different countries and things like that. Like, a lot of times I didn't really get to see anything. Like, I would be in this city, this world city or whatnot, and I was just there, get to the room, maybe do an interview, get something to eat, be at sound check, okay, get back to the room again, get ready to head out to perform, make sure the merch and everything's right, do all that, come back late night or in the morning, get clean, get some sleep real quick, get back in the car, van or whatever, and go to the next place. And, like, that was it. So a lot of that time is that's it. And I'm just like, I don't – and that was, and it was a great experience. It's just like I need to do – that less i need to experience life more i need to uh you know spend time with loved ones more uh, talk to them more let people know how you feel more things like that it's like you know get work done but at the same time like you have to get life done too so that's what i'm more on because you don't want to be like if you are ever conscious you're on your deathbed realizing that you've done all these things but all of it was just work related like everything you know so that's kind of how goes work-life balance health all that stuff is is the uh the evolution of today yeah no doubt. So when you look at that too, I mean, what what is your focus for 2024 when you think about how important that balance is um, as well as just, you know, staying creative? Yeah. Um, I feel like that's the thing. Luckily, I will always feel anyway like I have inspiration and, and the willingness to record. Like luckily, like cats that I – uh, my my musical uh, partners, they stay creative, and all of and and me hearing music that inspires me, um, me being inspired by you know the different things cats are doing. Um, I feel like now it's like yeah, I'm gonna do shows, but it's like I don't want to do as many shows as I used to. Um, I'm still going to create music. Um, but I never was, see, I never was somebody who was, oh, okay, I need to come out with an album every year. That just never was me. Some people, a lot of cats, that's how they get that, but that's just never been me. Like, I'm going to live enough life to where now I have enough things to talk about and draw inspiration from to create a good album instead of me just saying the same thing in a different way. You know what I'm saying? Um, so it's going to be doing that, um, you know, still content, still, but it's like that's the thing. So it's going to be some shows, it's going to be, music stuff hasn't come out yet um um 
Yeah, just different things like that. Like, I don't think I'll have a full-length project come out this year, but it's going to be me on, you know, featuring on different people's projects this year. Um, I still want to do, I'm going to do, like, some some lectures for some universities. Uh, Just, you know, just... Staying healthy, man. Doing good work, man. Pretty much. No, that that that's incredible, man. And you know, before before we before you wrap up, I also wanted to touch on it's the water, which you talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just the the poisonous water that you know was there from 1953 to 1987 um, yeah. at Camp Lejeune, man. Like, what what inspired that song? And you know, looking at at you know you being from Jacksonville, North Carolina. Like, right. were you in that area during any of those time that that time period? Oh yeah, yeah. The whole well, the so I was me born seventy six. So from you know for so like that was going on hardcore eleven years of my life. You know, um, and and I know a lot of people who definitely have lost loved ones and people who are sick right now like real bad off because of it and my father actually died he worked um he worked on camp lejeune all the way from the 60s till the mid 90s and um he yeah he got cancer really bad and passed back in 20 i want to say 2019 yeah um and yeah so like yeah man it affected so many people so many people i went to high school with it was like people when i started going to reunion especially the second one i was like why does this person have cancer and this person is just so many people been touched by that and like yeah and that song um i did that for like one of the organizations that are um trying to bring you know bring the uh justice to different people and different families and communities and stuff like that uh for that for those issues and the the, it just yeah it's just real jacked up man yeah no it it really is but i appreciate the way that you 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 raised awareness on it because you know, I just had no idea that that was happening in North Carolina. And then, you know, I listened to, to It's the Water, and then I start Googling, and it's like the atrocity upon atrocity there. So it's mm-hmm. like, what kind of response have you gotten there? Because, um, you know, I appreciate you using your platform to, to bring awareness to these important social issues. Yeah, man. Um, you know, it's, it's the crib. But, I mean, the song wasn't even my idea. The song was an idea of one of the leaders of the organizations uh, that, you know, are trying to bring the, the the right people to task for what happened. Um, and I was like, that's a great idea, you know. And I, and I did, and I just didn't know, because these people are n- not necessarily saying her, but, um, and um, uh, Samantha, yeah, it, not necessarily saying her, but she... And, like, the most of the people affected necessarily aren't rap listeners, right? So I feel like there were probably the most people are going to hear it. And it's another thing that it still, like, touched a lot of them. It really did. Like, they felt the emotion. They felt the message. They really, you know, appreciated it. And, like, it brought, you know, when um, Samantha, who... Uh, Samantha Villa, who was the one who came with the idea for me to do the song, when she first heard the song, I said to her, and then she called me, and she was in tears after listening to the song. Um, both her parents, uh, are, you know, died. And she was just like, it, it's perfect, you know. Um, yeah, man, it's... Yeah, and and it just goes back to what we were saying before. It's like it's so many things in this world to bring attention to, to talk about, to to express your feelings about, and 
you know, I just feel, I feel humbled that I was even asked to do it. And I'm glad that it, you know, for, for somebody like you who didn't even know anything about it, you're just now one more person who sees what's going on in a, in a, in a place that people are not even thinking about. You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, yeah, it's It's amazing. yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah. So, nah, good question. Thanks for even bringing that up, man. Yeah. No, it's it, it's important, you know, like, um, especially when we look at, you know, you can you can find, you know, parallel situations because, like, obviously, you know, Flint was the most, you mm-hmm. know, publicized and the one that was most in the media. But, right. you know, what what happens is you start finding out that the same problem is existing in other other places. It's just not being publicized or you know in the same way but that doesn't mean things are good right right yeah very true man so that's what i'm saying and so a lot of people i'm sure there's people you know who's doing that but it's like these type of things and you got people who have the ability to put certain things to words in one way or another or even put certain things to music and there's plenty of stuff to do that about you know you know because we, we you know awareness about different things and and then you know of course having a good time and all this type is like again balance man you know that's the key no, for sure, man. You know, and and as we wrap this up, man, you know, ended on ended on a high note, man. Like, what's something you're looking forward to this weekend, man? Um, looking forward to this weekend. Shoot, um, looking forward to watching some sports, uh, hanging out with the wife. Um, shoot, just us going like walking get some exercise all types of stuff i mean just simple stuff like that man (laughs) that's what i look forward to the most (laughs) 